Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Self Love Club, the podcast chatting about stuff that matters, created and hosted by me, broadcaster Belle Crawford. Thank you so much for joining me. On the show, we're joined by author, theatre maker, and all-round incredible creative, Claire Christian. Claire has released her third book, West Side Honey, which I was kindly sent an advanced copy of, and I adored it. A sexy and empowering rom-com, Cleo navigates her new life as a solo mum, her underperforming florist business, but through all the chaos, she's able to focus on herself, and her self-care and self-love journey takes off. Claire has an inspiring story and we find out about her three novels. She has a pretty cool story about how she got into writing books and how growing up not seeing herself represented impacted her. The limiting beliefs and the not enough narratives so many of us tell ourselves, we chat about this. How Claire has learned to overcome that, but also at the same time being real that this stuff still comes up. It's not like you eventually one day just don't doubt yourself anymore. So we have honest conversations about therapy and mental health. A quick note, one of Claire's books mentions the topic of suicide. We don't cover this in detail in this conversation, but a heads up in case this is triggering for you. I'll leave resources of where you can get help in the show notes. Whether you're a creative or not, there are so many takeaways in this conversation that I know will be so helpful. So I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed recording this chat. Now, before we get into it, please support us. This means so much and it means we can keep making these for you by subscribing or pressing follow on your podcast app now and follow us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. All of our details are in the show notes. One more thing, Claire's beautiful little pug was making a little bit of noise in the background, which you can hear only in some parts of this conversation. Claire, welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm thrilled to be part of the Self Love Club now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to go through your work, your latest book as well soon, but tell us a bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and did you know what you wanted to do? Mm, I grew up on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia, and was a chubby kid, asthmatic kid who hated the beach. So growing up on, in on the Gold Coast in the 90s um, was a was a great time. It was so fun. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, yeah. I w- always wanted to, I think writing was always the thing that I did. I have evidence of my first novel that I wrote when I was about seven, but I didn't actually dive in until I was in my kind of mid to late 20s. I went to uni and became a drama teacher, high school English, because... I just had no access or or vision that you could be an artist as a career, as a writer, as a theatre maker, all the things that I get to do now that I'm nearly, you know, I'm 39 and have built this career. When I was a teenager, there was just no examples of of that. Um, My parents, you know, hardworking, middle class, um, people who just wanted security and safety and who backed teaching as an option so yeah when I was teaching 
I decided to enter a, a competition for a play that I had written for some kids um, in my my students. And then that kind of unraveled this whole other world, working in a theatre company, seeing artists working. And then from there, that just each kind of stepping stone has built to, I guess, more possibility, more belief in myself um, until the first novel that I wrote, um, I was in my late 20s, um, early 30s when that came out. So it took me a while between, you know, seven to 30 before I, I dove in and actually followed the dream. Yeah, we're going to go through all your work soon, but it's that's such a interesting thing to say because I think that's such a it's that's the way for a lot of people you know most of us middle class hard-working parents and I think things are changing now the more we're seeing stuff you know on social media that you can create these careers but so true when you're a creative and you're trying to well that's what I love doing but it was very much like well you need a career and you know you've I mean you've got to survive pay bills and then you're like well maybe it's just a little hobby a side thing you know I think that's a way for a lot of us creatives and then sometimes you can end up somehow it's your job which is so amazing yeah and it feels it feels by accident or by yeah a a combination of of I think getting out of my own way in some ways and I have the now the balance of balancing a day job that I or day jobs that I love as is the nature of being in the arts but the fact that I get to write and make and um, make up stories that people want to read or come and watch on a stage is pretty amazing. I think I often think about my 15-year-old self and how cool she would think I am now, which she never thought she was cool then, but I kind of love that idea that she'd be pretty chuffed. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. What, did, what did your 15-year-old self want to be? I mean, you, you didn't really discover it so much or would start doing it till you're a bit later but like what did your 15 year old self have because I feel like we all have dreams and things the ways we see our life panning out at that age with the information we know Mm. I think I loved the subject that made the most sense to me at school was always drama Um, and I loved my drama teachers and that kind of but I knew I didn't I knew I didn't want to be an actor and part of me now thinking about that is is that because of you know representation of fat women on stage or screen and I think that's probably part of it to go like oh I don't think there's a place for me there but also acting wasn't the thing that delighted me what's actually delighted me was telling stories so I loved film watching movies I love tv I love reading books so yeah that 15 year old hadn't kind of put the puzzle pieces together of of the things that she loved and was good at and had a kind of knack for but had no idea what what that would mean or what that could be Um, as a career yeah I can so relate with that and I feel like and again like talking about that how things need to look but it was sort of it's I remember at school it's like well if you like art are you going to be an artist or if you like drama are you going to be an actress it wasn't really and because I was I'm a creative as well and there was lots of things I was doing in those sort of areas and you're like well why does it need to be black and white you're you want to create things you want to make things you want to write you know I remember mum saying this because she's a teacher as well and she would say that you know that kids they realize like there's a certain type of art I remember there was girls in my class that were so good at art and they were always like oh this is what it should look like and then you kind of stop thinking you can paint or you don't think you're very good you know you sort of start to 
change what you think is good in your head and it, it does get in your own way. Yeah, and I feel like growing older now, what actually growing older is is like unraveling all of that cultural teaching, all of that childhood stuff, all of that kind of the the impact of all the stuff we get gets put on us all of the rules all of the ways to be I feel like getting older is just taking that off like like we're wearing too many jackets and we've got to one by one take them all take them all off and kind of come back to that center to go okay what do I actually like or love Claire Bowditch describes it as being a multi-passionate and I loved that once I heard that I was like oh that totally fits for what I, I I love too many things I want to do all of the things <laughs> yeah I've always found that too people sort of try to put you in a box mm. a little bit and it's like well you can be this but you can also do these yeah things. like why do we have to why do we just have to do one thing or if you know you'll know from doing writing plays and then writing books they'll be like oh so you don't do plays anymore yes. like, no like it's all I've had that with myself like yeah working in radio or, th- or in media and it's like well no I still can do that and I still do that but I just do this now as well like why do we have to exactly it's like almost like you don't do that anymore yeah we can be all of the things basically <laughs> yeah so you were teaching and then you started writing more and you have had a lot of plays published you know tell us about that and how that all started to happen for you uh so yeah so when I was um I would have been about 25 or 26 and I entered this competition and won and had won with another um who's now is one of my very dear and best friends and he had gone down a path of he went to uni to do theatre and arts and he had already he was much younger than me and had already produced independent theatre and and just even just looking at how he had unraveled his life was a kind of light bulb moment of going oh there's so many other possibilities so we made independent theater together and I started to learn more about the sector I went overseas and lived in London for a bit and studied at the Royal Court there their writing program came home and decided I didn't want to teach anymore but I still wanted to work with young people so started to work for theatre companies and was making work with young artists and and young people and as well as kind of nurturing my own theatre practice and making theatre. So that kind of unravelled over, I guess, a decade. And then uh, in 2018, I had my kind of first main stage work at La Boite Theatre Company here in Brisbane, which was this feminist response to the Me Too movement and was this kind of commentary about regional and rural Australia, this comedy unravelling this kind of old Greek work that basically the central comedy of it was that women aren't funny and women can't be powerful. So in 2018, that felt like a a good commentary to make. Making stories with other artists is the joy. Because of one of those stories didn't feel right as a play, that I then started to go, oh, I think this might be a novel. And that was terrifying because exactly as we talked about before, I was like, but I'm a playwright. I'm a theatre maker. How can I write something else? That's not what I do. And that took a little bit of unravelling to kind of go, actually, no, I'm going to commit to this dream of now writing something else. I think what I love about theatre is that it is so collaborative. But then when you're writing a novel, it's just you in the chair. <laughs> you can choose what happens, what gets said. Exactly. You know, when it's a collaborative thing, then it's something that you want, you have to compromise or it yeah. might not turn out the way you want or the way you've written it. So, yeah, you kind of have that control in a way, right? Yeah, and you've got a, you've got a team of people and you're all pitching ideas. So if it's, if it's crap, Belle, it's like, oh, well, we all made it crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not 
not just me. Yeah, exactly. Whereas a novel, it's like, oh, no, that was just just my idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to talk about your novel soon and your new one as well. But you did mention before, you know, sort of getting out of your own way, which I think is something a lot of us struggle with. And especially when it's in a creative way as well, you know, like you say, you're going, oh, no, I write theatre. I don't write. And but you do have to sort of get out of your own way a lot when you're doing something that may not be what you do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it requires. I've thought about it a lot because it keeps coming up in my kind of life that times I change my mind or I've got a new idea and I want to pursue this thing. And I think it. It, it's about holding both the the fear and the bravery at the same time. Um, it's because I, I have a bit of an issue with this idea of like be fearless or like, you know, we have to be fearless. And I'm like, no, <laughs> most of the things we want to do are terrifying, rightly so. Our, our bodies and our brains are going like this good and badly. This is a terrible idea to keep us safe. But we've kind of got to hold that at the same time as we need to go. Actually, I, tr- I trust my capacity to navigate this um, and give it a go. So I think it's holding the fear and the bravery mm. together is how I've practiced getting out of my way, on my, on my own way. And the more I do it, the easier it becomes. But it's still scary. <laughs> oh, no, of course. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point. It's like you're not going to get rid of it, but use it in a way if you can to your advantage. Because what does that look like for you? when you're actually writing you know have you got oh this is this is no good and then you're actually physically having to then go do it it's sort of that action really yes cancels out it in a way yes I love that like that intentional action of ultimately knowing what I want it to be in the end and then the only thing in the way is me sitting down and actually putting my butt in the chair and writing the words or whatever it is you know it can be as simple as you know wanting to unravel the I say simple but sometimes that's terrifying as well wanting to unravel any of the supposed rules of what we're meant to wear or the insecurities that have kind of been placed on my body and the only way to do that is to to wear the bloody dress that might show off my stomach or or the thing that I'm most insecure about it it's just it's doing the thing aligned action I guess is the is the thing yeah yeah, I've heard of it talked about as exposure therapy, yes. as well, which to me sounds like kind of like, oh, what's going on? Like, who's exposing who? But yeah. it's just by doing those things, you know, you hear about people who, um, you know, are afraid to wear something. Maybe it's to go to the beach and, and to have a swimsuit on or something. And it's the only way you can really move past that is to actually sometimes do it and realize that no one's looking at you. You're beautiful how you are. And yeah, just by practicing that thing, you just get more and more confident about it yes yeah yeah and and that then feels like a safe thing to do and you can then work out what the next scary thing to overcome is so talk to us about your I'm going to go through your novels but talk to us about your debut novel Beautiful Mess which did win a prize back in 2016 so you said that sort of did that idea come off this play you had yeah, so I was uh, living in a regional community and we had lost a young person to who'd taken their own life, who'd lost their life to their depression and um, that's how their, their family spoke about it and I'd never heard kind of suicide be spoken about like that and I watched the young people in my communica- like community come together and really support each other and, and have big questions about it but 
the majority of the adults in their life, their, their schools, some of their parents didn't know how to navigate it and have these difficult but honest conversations about what was happening. And so I think that was something that I was like, we need to talk about this. I need to be a part of this conversation somehow. This novel was born called Beautiful Mess that follows these two teenagers um, as they're kind of unraveling big, messy, beautiful life stuff and they build a friendship um, kind of in the mess, I guess, and the friendship is is what kind of gets them through the, mm. the tough stuff. Um, but it, at the same time is I wanted it to be joyous and funny and awkward because that's all of the stuff that I think adolescence is. Um, it's kind of trying to work out who you are amidst all of the chaos of life and your own mental health and school and parents you know there's not enough money in the world to pay me to be a teenager again Belle yeah oh it was so full-on wasn't it yeah I just just remember your emotions are at another level you know I especially as I got to like I I think it was like 15 onwards it was just like yeah it was it was a lot yeah you're right it's a lot yeah and we don't talk about how big it is we're just kind of like come on hurry up become an adult Yes, and that was the that was the first novel which like had won a won a prize through my now current publisher Text Publishing. They have a young adult um, novel prize, and I used that as the deadline, purely just to finish it to kind of prove to myself that I could could do it. And hadn't really thought quite logically about it being a prize because I had just gone, oh, I'll enter that, and then the book will be done, and that's the goal. So then when I got the call to say it had been shortlisted, it was then kind of a whole shift in my thinking of going like, oh, okay, all right, it's it's been acknowledged, and then the call, the, the next call to say that it had won and that it would be published, and then a whole new um, pathway in my life of going, okay, I can do this. This is something that I love. Yeah, I love hearing stories like that about when – someone started doing something often it's not with the intention of like it being this big thing and then for myself I've often wanted to try and almost like recreate that in a way because you're just putting it out there like you say you're using it as a deadline and you're like oh this is a cool thing great let's use this to get it done and then and it all happens from then and I think that's how a lot of creatives work or or just when you do stuff you know you don't really think about it that much you do it and then afterwards you're like oh, wow, you know, that's actually, that's changed my life. Well, now I'm doing this from it, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, and it then becomes almost like a, a permission slip or a, a kind of a whole other suite of things became possible then. So then it was like, okay, well, what else do I want to write or what other ideas do I have? I know I can write a novel now. I can't tell myself that I can't do that because I'm lying. So what what is it now that I want to create and make? Yeah, and then you wrote your second novel as well. So tell us a bit about that. It's a pleasure, Nonny Blake, which I've seen a lot of your work online around that as well and sort of, I guess, lessons and takeaways that people could get from it. Yeah, and so then, like, coming back to this, like, putting ourselves in a box. So my first book was a young adult novel. It was for young people. And then the next idea that I had was this contemporary fiction romance for this sexy romance for adults and the seed of that kind of came from I'd listened to an Elizabeth Gilbert I think podcast and she said something about like pay attention to the conversations that keep coming up around you and so I was like okay 
I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever Elizabeth Gilbert tells me to do. <laughs> and the conversations I kept having with the women, especially around me, were if only I knew then what I know now. Or if only I felt the way I do about myself and my body and sex now, back then, I think my whole life would have been different. And I found that really fascinating. So the seed for this, for the novel, for um, It's Been a Pleasure Honey Blake was, what if there was this woman who kind of took that to the nth degree and, and created this list of people that she wished she'd had sex with in her <laughs> past and go back and, and try and have sex with them? Um, so that was the initial seed for the idea. And then what actually unraveled in the writing of it was actually, this isn't just about sex. This is about the reclamation of, of pleasure and desire and longing. And so, yeah, Noni goes on a, on a pleasure quest. The pleasure quest begins by her eating a chocolate croissant for breakfast without a sense of guilt. It's wearing the thing she's always wanted to wear. And that was all based in kind of research that I'd done. I'd done an anonymous survey and over a kind of 100 women and femmes replied to that. And it was things like I would wear bold lipstick just because or I would buy lingerie or I would have sex on my balcony, you know. It was things I'd ride a motorbike. We know what we want. They are very achievable things and yet we still don't go for them. We still don't do them. Mum used to say this thing, bless her, I love her, she's amazing, but if I was doing something when I was meant to be doing something else, she would say, and I used to like be so cringed out because I'm like, oh, Mum, don't say that. She'd say, stop self-pleasuring <laughs> if I was doing, and I'm like, yeah. Mum, first of all, do not say that to me. I was like a my late teens. Like, do not say that because that's gross. Like, you don't know what you. That's the different meaning. But also, it was almost like you were. It was naughty to do things that you liked. Or, yes. You know, like it's just it, it is drummed into us that you know doing you're selfish and especially for women or people who identify as women and I, I guess for everyone like if you're doing things for yourself you're selfish which is so not true and especially for yeah for women and mothers our culture tells us that we should be selfless mm. and Glennon Doyle writes about this in in Untamed where it's you know we should be selfless we should martyr ourselves for how selfless we are and how much we contribute to our families and to to the world the very notion of selfless is is losing is losing yourself and then what are we then continuing to teach our, our children about how we want them to show in the world is to completely you know we celebrate a woman when she is selfless when when she does everything for everyone else but where is she in that narrative and I when I read that I was like oh I love that because I think if we fill our own sets that the air hostess narrative you know fill our own cup first so that we can then be compassionate people for the people in our life and for the people in our world because we are full and happy still to come we find out all about claire's latest novel west side honey a rom-com i think you're going to love because i certainly did plus we talk about people pleasing and learning to be okay with not everyone loving the stuff you do or who you are. So many takeaways still to come. We'll be back after a quick break. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. us on to your third book which I was so grateful to um, receive an advanced copy of this. Talk us through that book and, and what it's all about. Uh, so West Side Honey is was seated in my best friend lives down in Melbourne and I'm in Brisbane. She's a single mum, she's a powerhouse, she's my most favourite person on the planet and it just made me start to think about the way, one that we talk about single parents yeah and the way we talk about platonic love the examples that we see about best friends is is often in our media you know we pit women or pit friendships against each other the central conflict is is in their relationship and it kind of evolved from noni noni was all about pleasure and so this kind of became about how do we take up space in our own lives and how do we ask for what we need and actually do exactly what we've been talking about this whole time in in terms of like having a need, feeling the fear and the bravery at the same time and, and and meeting our own needs and asking for our needs to be met too. I love it. It's a really good rom-com, but it's like very, you write books that are very, even this bio says like they're very bingeable. So like even though this stuff yeah. sounds like quite serious. Yes, it does. Yeah. I always like, even when I do a podcast or something, I'm like, we talk about all these serious things, but I swear it's fun. Like, so yeah. do you find that with your writing as well, like even though you're trying to cover you know important topics it's like you're trying to have fun with it as well absolutely I am a I am a diehard lover of a romantic comedy always have been read them when I was little will watch any romantic com- the tropier the, the better it was a genre that I love and I wanted to contribute to but I also wanted to contribute in a way that felt like me a good friend of mine who's a librarian um describes the 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 romance that I write as authentic wish fulfillment which I loved when he told me that they feel real enough but also slightly heightened in in the kind of the level of romance or good things that are happening (laughs) so it sounds like a lot of stories around you like real life stories inspire you so you know what Mm. does inspire you in your work I think it's all often it's the things we don't talk about or the things I don't feel or see represented Noni Blake was um or is a queer fat bisexual woman and I was like I don't see rom-coms with that body type with that sexuality being explored and I wanted to to write about that. One thing I really think is quite cool as well about West Side Honey is it's sort of, it's one of those stories that it also celebrates, I don't know, not celebrates, but it sort of brings about the chaos in life. I, I think a lot yeah. we're seeing on social media, people are being a lot more real about things and, and, but a lot of the time it's, you know, like things are a highlights reel and look at how yes. good I am at being a mom or look at how good I am at doing this. And I've got my shit together when secretly behind the scenes, none of us have our shit together. We're having <laughs> yes. mental breakdowns. We're like struggling. We're, yeah. we're also thriving, but it's like a real, so I like that it kind of like cut taps into that chaos of real life. And, and, and at the same time having a laugh about it, but going, Oh God, yeah, that that's people can see themselves in that, even if they're not in that situation. Yeah. I, and I hope so. Thank you for saying that because 
it's like let's talk about the messiness. <laughs> let's talk about the fact that none of us have any idea what we're doing because Cleo decides to start dating in the novel and I wanted to write about the the joys and also the chaos of app dating for the first time great dates or mediocre dates or awkward terrible dates that she goes on as this kind of representation of of the flames <laughs> yeah it's a real it's a ride that's for sure <laughs> We have touched on mental health and I know your books, you know, especially your first one mm. was really heavily around mental health and I'm sure those themes go throughout. Have Do you draw on your own experiences or, you know, like things you have gone through? Like what have been some of the, I guess, biggest learnings in your life through that? I think for Noni Blake, it was definitely about learning to take up space and to stop minimising yourself for the sake of other people and to really think about what you want or what I wanted. What I've realised is I wrote Noni Blake as the, as Noni Blake evolved, ended up writing myself a 90,000 word <laughs> permission slip to go on my own pleasure quest after the fact. It was almost like my subconscious had to write that novel to kind of see how it would work out for Noni and then go, well, it works out pretty bloody great for her. Maybe I can do that now too. <laughs> so yeah, I think my the mental health stuff is definitely um, in all of the books because again, it's something we don't mm. we don't talk about. We talk about you know self love, and we think that it's it's somewhere that we're going to arrive, like we're climbing a mountain and eventually we'll get to the top and we will love ourselves. And I just don't think it works like that. I think it's this continual journey there's no arrival place we are learning stuff as we go along and some days we will have it in the pocket and be like hell yes I've unraveled and healed a bunch of stuff and other days you know we'll be right back to our 15 year old selves feeling whatever they felt insecure about so I think that's what I've really learned in the last few years commitment to ourselves is this ongoing daily loving kind of journey because we're stuck with ourselves forever yeah why wouldn't we try and make that you know, our minds and our bodies that try and make them the loveliest place that they can be. Seeing as that is the one guarantee yeah. that we have that we have from day one till day end. <laughs> I read a great um quote the other day that said, it is not your job to like me, it is mine. And I loved that idea of like, oh yeah, this is, this is work. <laughs> this is a job of like showing up for myself um, every day exactly like I want to show up for the people that I love and I care about. It's an interesting concept though, really, isn't it? Because that's so about, like, I think a lot of us are people pleasers. And so we're, and especially when you're putting creative work out to the world or just anything, like you want to make sure people like you. And I've, I've really struggled with that. I've sort of starting to realize, like, I kind of almost, you can't look back and wish things would have been different because they're not, but I sort of even look back a few years going, oh gosh, I wish I wasn't trying to please everyone all the time. And you know, if you just, if you're a good person and you put out things, not everyone's going to like it, but the people that do will come. And so rather than trying to like self-censor all the time to be likable all the time and to appease everybody, like you just can't. And it's exhausting. Like, I think the older I get, the more exhausted that I get by it and go, actually, I just don't have the energy anymore or I have less of the energy. I'm definitely a a reformed or reforming people pleaser I'm unlearning that and it's hard it's really hard to unravel some of that 
but it's worth it, I think, in the end. Yeah. What are some of the things we talk about people pleasing a lot? Cause I, honestly, yeah. I think most people can relate to it. What are some of the mm. things that you've been able to do to help that? And I guess, mm. and to become a bit reform with your people pleasing. I think boundaries have been the big putting in boundaries and standing by my boundaries. So working out what is okay and what is not okay. And then being brave to articulate that. And the more I do it, um, the more I feel safer to do it. So it's like, pra- it's just practice. But there's a part of it where you really have to kind of take a breath and listen to what is true and real in you as well. You know, when we talk about our intuition or following our gut, I don't think we talk about how hard that is because I think we can hear or we can listen or we can feel whatever the nudge is in our bodies. But I don't think we talk about the next bit, the act, action required in that because so many, I think there's so many things or so many moments in my life where I knew something wasn't right or I knew I wanted something different or I knew I wanted to leave this relationship or I knew I wanted to try something out or leave this job or whatever it was or apply for this thing. I knew that was the intuition, but to actually do it, to actually act, to actually say the thing or try or sign up or whatever it required takes a lot of energy and a lot of bravery, I Mm. think, to actually commit to that thing. So I think what I've been really practicing in the last few years of my life is really listening to myself and what I want and then working out how how to go about that. So journaling really helps me navigate that. Words obviously are my thing. Mindfulness, absolutely. Learning how to breathe properly. Like I've been learning breath work the last the last few months and that's really helped. I think the priority for me this year has been about embodiment and being in my body and kind of aligning up that trifecta of body mind and spirit I feel like someone who's lived quite separately like Mm. brain I'll really process this separately or like body this is how I feel about this or like spirituality or soul that's that over there and now I think what I'm trying to do is bring them together yeah no totally and I love hearing about the actual action of it because you're right there's so many things people say like just you know set better boundaries or you know they're good concepts but then it's like well how does that actually look because unless you actually learn or can work out the actions to follow through on that it can be really tricky yeah and it's not something that is being modeled again yeah we don't talk exactly what you said we don't we we should see a highlight reel but we don't see the tough conversations that are happening you know I look at my relationship that I'm now in with a beautiful human who it's hard work (laughs) and we are both committed to doing the healing and unraveling kind of old patterns and and looking at our triggers and all of that good meaty stuff but it's it's you are in the trenches of going like Mm. okay what is that trigger what do I need how do I regulate my nervous system now what do I how do I articulate how do I stay in this how do I not run all of that kind of old past learning Doing the healing work is hard, but it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, totally. I love that. I'm all about that as well. And like working each day, trying things in your daily life that can help because it can be hard when you still have those triggers. And I I don't even think they can always go away, like things that trigger you or or past beliefs or things. You can work on it. And, you know, like a lot in therapy, they'll they'll try to get you to go back to that person like what age are you and I think yeah you can definitely do some inner work and healing but 
it's still there. Like you never fully get rid of stuff. You know, I just always, I don't know, maybe I'm just a bit logical about it. No, I agree. There's that. Have you heard of the theory? I don't know much about it. I've literally only listened to one podcast about it. <laughs> You're like, I'm basically an expert. <laughs> I'm like, I'm an expert now. I know everything about it. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, but, but about internal family systems, which is this idea that we are those parts of ourselves, that we're not actually kind of one one full thing that we are made up of many parts which could be our trauma or our triggers or our childhood selves or our you know inner critic or whatever it is I picture it like they're all sitting around a boardroom table and we're collectively trying to work out or or whatever is the truest kind of version of me now whatever is that intuition part that now knowing that is the culmination of all of these things is kind of at the head of the table kind of going okay thank you 12 year old self I know that that's why you would feel about how you would feel about that or you know okay angry part over here that maybe has some dad shit that they need to work out <laughs> we love some daddy issues yeah <laughs> I think one of the the lessons that I keep learning over and over again in my life is this and I had it I had it tattooed on my body when I was 19 like that's when I had the revelation and I'm now 39 so for 20 years I keep coming back to this revelation or this this no this truth of enoughness I am enough as I am like that is the actual truth but all the other stuff around that that makes that hard to really believe is the thing that keeps coming up for me, I think, is the constant message in my in my life where I go, I already know logically that that's true, but the stories, the childhood trauma, the relational triggers, all of that stuff is constantly in battle with that truth. So would you, would you say, because I think that's so common, I think for me a lot of my, it's always like thinking you're not good enough. You know, I think for so many, I think it's a universal thing, but is that one of your biggest, like, I guess, triggers or one of your like limiting beliefs that's come up over and over in your life that you're not enough yep not enoughness yeah. not smart enough not pretty enough not thin enough not bold enough not uh, you know all of those you know not funny enough all of that stuff is all all it's all there I'm at a better place right now in my life than I've ever kind of been I'm going like oh no however it is on any given day my body my brain my spirit it's enough because it is what it is today and that's okay what have been some of the biggest challenges for you over the years you know you've touched on some things you went through a marriage breakup which like god that must be hard like even though necessary but like for you but yeah what have been some of the toughest challenges along the way in the the last few years has definitely been been that breakup and it was amicable the big revelation I had in that relationship ending is you need distance from things to actually start to unpack and and think about and look at how you feel because I think things can so quickly become normal and I think we don't talk about that enough as well is that if you are in a relationship where you are minimizing yourself where you are not happy where you're not living your fullest kind of expression of 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 self you know we were together for nine years and it that took a long time to kind of realise that, okay, this is actually has an end date to this. But now coming out of that, now almost three years out of that, is going, oh, so much of that just happened so slowly and I lost myself in that so slowly 
day to day that I didn't even realise some of the stuff that I was tolerating or accepting in myself. But the other big piece, I think, is being in the 90s, living in a bigger body in the world and being a 90s kid where you see no examples of, of fatness or curvy women anywhere. And thank God that has changed. I just think about the young woman I would be if I'd had the examples that are available now. I think I I really genuinely think my life would be have been quite different just in my own self-confidence and in my own capacity to show up but I think just the access to look at other bodies look at other women see them in a bikini see them being desirable seeing them um showing up and doing whatever they wanted to I think the limiting beliefs that I had as a teenager would have been quite different if I'd if I'd seen examples of, of bodies like mine at a younger age I always ask like advice you would share with your younger self and we have touched on that 15 year old self but knowing what you know now and the things you're doing and the and the things you've learned what would you tell her mm, you know what I would really tell her and it seems so simple but I would tell her I would I would want to say you are okay like it's it's okay you are okay but I would also just really want her to know she is fanciable and that people absolutely fancy you and will fancy you and it seems such the simplest thing but I think part of those rules is that we think only one type of person is desirable and that's just not the case at all and that in itself is advice for others but I always end on like what is some advice you would like to share with those listening who you know want to show up authentically as themselves and to live their dreams like you have? I think it's about self-trust. I think it's about the you already know and you genuinely do already know what you want or a, a curiosity or an inkling that you have about a desire that you want to meet. You already know and so you are worthy of trusting that desire. Your longing is legitimate. Like just get real quiet see what you want see what your body says see what you tell yourself and then just take a micro step towards it because it'll pay off yeah and one last thing what about for creatives maybe writers who have aspirations like what would you tell them in in terms of like actually writing a book or three or like all your other work like What's some advice for them and actually getting it done? I think when it comes to any kind of creative project or any kind of creative yearning that people have, we get so far ahead of ourselves of the actual finished product or the end thing or what am I going to do or will it be good enough or people read it. And and I, I kind of often tell people just to slow that down and to make that smaller. And if you want to be a writer, all you have to do is sit your butt in the chair and write. That's it. If you want to be, if you want to paint a picture, don't think about painting the picture. Just pick up a paintbrush. Step one, you know, buy your paintbrushes and your paints, and then paint the bloody picture. Because I think, yeah, we we get in our own way. We get too far ahead of ourselves when it's the simplest. We have everything we need to already do it, and that's just putting your butt in the chair, or picking up the paintbrush, or singing the song, or whatever it is. Trust, trust the desire. Trust that you can. If I can, you absolutely can. Oh, Claire, thank you so much for your time today. Love chatting. Um, I know people are going to love reading your book. So 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, love. Thank you for this. It's been a really beautiful conversation. That's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Self Love Club. If you want to listen to more of our episodes with authors in our book club series, I'll leave some links to some you may like in the show notes. The most helpful way you can support us is to subscribe or follow the Self Love Club on your podcast app. Also, select automatic downloads, leave us a five-star rating, and if you're enjoying listening, write us a kind review. This really helps other people find us. And you can always send a link to your friends who you think might enjoy listening as well. Follow us on Instagram at Self Love Club Podcast, where you can watch videos of this conversation, all of our others, and keep up with our content. I'm at Belle Crawford on Instagram, Belle underscore Crawford on TikTok, and join our private Facebook group. Details for all of these are in the show notes. New episodes are released on Mondays from 5am New Zealand time. I'll catch you soon. Bye.